Welcome to the Dunker Punks podcast. Have you ever heard news of a particular conflict in the world and wondered what you could do to help? I invite you to consider that desire as you listen to our theme song full of modifiers. I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be a sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. Unconditionally loving organic gardener I wanna be authentic I wanna be radical I wanna be optimistic Honest, beautiful I wanna be humble I wanna be progressive I wanna be open Inspiration I wanna be like John Wesley Sarah Major Random Mouth I wanna be like Martin Luther Martin Luther King Jr. Like Santa Claus Johnny Appleseed Dirk Blimp Gandhi Alexander Mack John Clark George Fox and Jesus Thank you for listening to the Dunker Punks podcast. I'm Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald, one of your hosts. Today we have a very important reflection for you that is bound to give you hope about the difference a small group of people can make in the world. Our contributor is Sarah Thompson, the current executive director of the Christian Peacemaker Teams. If you are unfamiliar with their work, Sarah will fill you in. If you have heard about them, but don't know about all four of the current locations of the teams and how they operate, Sarah will share those details also. Most of all, she shares her passion for this vital work of peacemaking on the ground at the sources of conflict, or she says, bodies on the line. Welcome, Sarah Thompson, to the Dunker Punks podcast and our audience of committed Jesus followers. So hi, my name is Sarah Thompson, and I am the current executive director of Christian Peacemaker Teams. We all have terms, and my term is coming to an end. So after Christian Peacemaker Teams, I will go work at the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change in Atlanta. I've been executive director for three years, and 
before that I was outreach coordinator and before that I was on the board of Christian Peacemaker Team. So it's been a great organization to be involved in. I've learned about it from many different angles. Christian Peacemaker Teams is involved at the invitation of people around the world who are nonviolently and creatively resisting lethal violence in their context, as well as structural oppression. It's part of the many groups that do unarmed civilian protection and accompaniment because in situations of violent conflict or eminent violence, or even to some extent post-crisis situations, civilians are often the most targeted and the most impacted by whatever armed actors do or political decisions that happen. However, the international community writ large is not necessarily paying attention and championing the activities of civilians in this case. It takes regular people around the world to support regular people elsewhere. So this means like small farmers in Colombia, for example, who in this post agreement time are facing increased violence from paramilitary actors and from corporate actors who are seeking to remove them from land so that the corporations can monocrop uh, palm oil or other things. And the civilians um, who are searching and working for peace deserve that. They deserve to be able to grow their subsistence crops in peace. And so we accompany them out to their fields. Sometimes at the fields they'll see the tractors and bulldozers of their various corporations um, trying to push them off, as it was the case in Las Pavas. But through our work together, both back to where the palm oil uh, was headed into the United States and Europe, and uh, right there um, challenging those the, the people who were driving the bulldozers and the tractors and challenging the management and um, challenging the cops that came to protect the corporation over the people. By doing that together, we're able to leverage our international community of regular people to be able to make a powerful difference around the world. So that's an example of what, that's an example of what Christian Peacemaker Teams does. Our mission the mission of Christian Peacemaker Teams is building partnerships to transform violence and oppression. We can only do so much by ourselves or just by our community. We need one another. And so we use the leverage of being outside of a certain community. We have people local to every place we work, Colombia, Palestine, Northern Iraq, alongside refugees in Greece and accompanying First Nations folks, in, mostly in Canada, as they work towards the rights that are due to them as sovereign peoples. And we work together, um, people from the local area, but not that exact community sometimes, so that we can leverage the insider-outsider advantage, working together to challenge the, like, the violent conflict and the structural oppression. So what is unarmed civilian protection and sort of what methods the organization use to make peace in these different contexts? So unarmed civilian protection is the practice of accompaniment, documentation, um, relationship building, advocacy, and in-person support. What makes Christian Peacemaker Teams an important part of our field of peacemaking is that we are not only writing petitions or sending online uh, demands, we are putting our bodies out there on the line together with others who are already on the line and facing a lot of violence. 
Unarmed civilian protection is a commitment in person to say that the only arms we need are the two that we have on the right and the left side of our body. We don't need weapons to really protect each other, but we need relationships and we need the world to see what's happening. Because when the world sees what's happening, there's a greater chance that they will rise up to resist injustice, to stop war, to reduce violence, to challenge weapon sales. So this is a methodology that's been happening for a number of generations now, but especially post-World War II, um, the importance of having people who were from the international community that observed what was happening in one place and called attention to that gave the data for changes to be made so we could have a more peaceful world. Also, each one of us knows what it's like to walk down a street by ourselves at night. When we have one other person with us, our sense of confidence and our sense of safety generally tends to increase quite a lot. So each of us know kind of in our hearts already what it's like to have a friend around, someone you can share with, someone who you can face challenges together with. So in some ways, CPT is like that friend that comes alongside you. Also, we use documentation a lot as well. Sometimes civilians are denied the opportunity for their story to be heard and it's squashed by corruption in media and, and politicians. And so we're able to do that documentation and get the word out about what's really happening in various parts of the world. Um, what are some of the successes you've seen in the field? I'm sure you have lots of stories from the various field operations. Um, so what are like, the you know, biggest successes you've seen using these methods? One great success came early on in our time in Palestine. It actually features someone from the Church of the Brethren. Local Palestinian residents were trying to get to their school, but it was welded shut by the Israeli occupying army. And they asked the CPTer, who was not from that country, to go and open the school, to unweld it. And the CPTer was able to do that, and everyone was able to go back to school. And that earned us a lot of street cred. But that's something you can do if you are an international guest in a place. Also, when we had the wonderful chance to welcome Palestinians to be on the Palestine team as well, um, that increased a lot of confidence because we were able to have discussions in Arabic and really find out what was going on and the challenges that people faced. This allowed us to develop creative nonviolent actions together and when this happens we're able to increase the morale in the community and people are able to go about their daily lives as it relates to going to school, attending places of worship, being able to go shopping without the threat of settler violence and um, the threat of military violence. There are many checkpoints in the area of Hebron al-Khalil where we work and it really increases the amount of time it takes for a Palestinian person to do anything because they have to walk a lot of extra time and or pass through a humiliating checkpoint in which there are a lot of guns and a lot of people yelling at them um, in a different language. And um, it, it can be really uh, difficult. It can be really dehydrating um, if it's warm and um, it can be disorienting. And so we are there as members from around the world and Palestinians together and also um, Jewish folks who are committed to ending the U.S. and Israeli military occupation, working together as part of the international community to say it doesn't need to be this way. Um, we are paying attention, we are documenting what's actually happening, and then we provide that raw material to the uh, deliberations that happen on a political level so that people can work from the truth and not just from the story. So 
uh, that is a major success in the sense that um, our data helped to um, hold um, the Golani Brigade accountable, um, the Golani Brigade of the Israeli um, Occupation Forces, and they had uh, harassed to a huge extent uh, many people in Hebron al-Khalil, and we were able to hold them accountable uh, for those actions. In every, in every action, we're seeking restoration, um, and in some cases, the first step in restoration is that violence must stop. So that was a success in Palestine. In Colombia, uh, with the community of Las Pavas, we were able to agitate alongside them on the front lines as they went out to their fields and they saw that their banana plants were scattered and their beans were all ripped up. They said, what is happening? And they challenged um, uh, a, a company called Dabon, which was a subcontractor to the body shop. And since the body shop prides itself on being an ethical and a green company, we let them know what was happening in their name. Initially, they said they couldn't do anything about it, but we knew that they could. And so we put pressure on them, not only on the ground with the community in Las Pavas, but also right at the front end at their stores. We were prepared to um, sit in their stores for as long as it took till the body shop agreed to cut that contract with Dabon. You know, we... You know, we really did uh, challenge them because they would throw us out of their stores and people would get mad when we messed up their shopping experience, so to speak. But they would say things to us like, well, this is my freedom to buy what I want. And we would say, what about the freedom of a Colombian farmer to live on land and to grow their food? What about their freedom too? So some people, customers in the body shop really agree with us and it had an impact on them as well. After a year and a half of agitation, as well as calling for a boycott at the body shop, the body shop decided to cut the contract with Dabon. And so Dabon had to pull out of, of Las Pavas where it was and the Las Pavas farmers got their land back. They are there today. They continue to be under pressure from any number of corporate entities that want to take their land again. But because they've had a major success in doing nonviolent direct action, they're all stronger and they know um, their rights in this case. And they actually won a national peace prize for their concerted efforts uh, to be able um, to have the land sovereignty that they deserved. So that's a success from Colombia. Also, we participated um, in the activities of Standing Rock and in measuring uh, the mercury levels that were dumped uh, in the neighbors just to the north on Treaty 1 and Treaty 3 territory. And we were able to participate alongside um, First Nations uh, grandmothers and their uh, teenage grandsons as they blocked logging trucks that were doing illegal logging on their land and as they sought um, to get redress for the the like environmental hazards that have been dumped on reserve land. So we are right now in process of seeing how that will turn out. But with our partnership with uh, local residents, we're able to bring that up to the level where it can be addressed in court. Um, what are some of the challenges that you faced um, while practicing unarmed civilian protection? So in unarmed civilian protection, by being there, you reduce vulnerability in a certain way but at the same time, you are still unarmed. And every once in a while, you face an armed actor that is really disrespectful and will hurt you. We had, while walking kids to school in the South Hebron Hills, 
settlers came out and they were going to try to beat the children but because we were standing and accompanying the children they beat us instead and tbtiers train for these types of challenges we train on how not to retaliate we train on how to try to transform or de-escalate a scenario um, but we are recognizing that we are in a dangerous situation all over the world people involved in unarmed civilian protection are um some you know are are vulnerable in various ways and it's really an offering from from your spirit to say you know if if harm is being done to my brother or sister you know it i'm gonna make it uh, happen to me as well because they should not have to suffer that alone and so the challenge there is to um, be able to maintain that strength and and that courage in 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 my opinion it's not just it's not that we have so much courage or that we're so brave it's just that we have a tiny bit more courage and a tiny bit more commitment than our fear or than our ambivalence like we know we need to um, live for something and need to get out there and express it um, in our bodies so that's that's um, that's a challenge is to keep that up to, to keep that intensity to be able to concentrate um, when there's so much chaos but that we train we train for that and our training is a is a month long because you know the military has its boot camp and we have our peacemaker camp you know we don't we don't really have any boots and we do far less push-ups but it is a community of people that come together to learn what it means to be a peacemaker today and that's not only what we do outside but it's also what's in our hearts recognizing that violence and nonviolence run through the heart of each one of us and so there is an important part of what we do to face the challenges is to train um, to prepare to be hassled um, by those who don't want to see us there who by those who don't want to be accountable for their actions and so uh, we face a lot of a lot of those people in 2005 2006 when on delegation a number of our members were kidnapped and um, they were in captivity for 118 days and it was a huge challenge at that time to make sure that the narrative about what was happening in Iraq and the narrative about Christian peacemaker teams was solid and that we talked about how we didn't want retaliation that we talked about how um, we did not want this war how what was happening to us was just a fraction of what was happening to so many Iraqis who are civilians who deserve um, protection of relationship and did not deserve to have any bombs or um, you know drones dropping things on them and everyone kept saying that that the unarmed civilian protectors CPT in this case were naive for entering that space but we were not naive. We were there with a mission to be in solidarity and to support those who are experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of injustice. Um, during that 118 days, um, one person who was a former uh, U.S. military, he was separated from the group and he was later uh, shot and killed. And uh, even after that, the, then the other three got free. And after that, we still were willing to be in Baghdad in Iraq and to support the local community in trying to survive this horrendous US-led war. It was only after a while, once it got more risk for the local community, 
to host us than than we were giving to them they said could you all leave and we said yes they said well don't leave too quickly we're going to send you up to the north we have some friends in kurdistan who are trying to work on justice happening there and to form a nonviolent civil society and so they sent our team there basically so it took up took some years to get that all set up but we're now in northern iraq and we're documenting the cross-border bombs that are falling on Kurds from Iran and from Turkey and how that's affecting civilian lives. And we're also um, working there on documenting the oil companies that are coming and displacing farmers. So I would say that unarmed civilian protection does have a lot of challenges in it because you're constantly dealing with some of the most difficult sets of issues um, that there are. However, um, it, there's a lot of joy as well. And so I believe in unarmed civilian protection and peacemaking because of all the joy that's there, um, uh, because of our ability as humans to come together and to find common ground and to see and empathize with one another about what we're going through and then work together uh, for a healthier future for everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cool. I'll just uh, let people know how to get involved. Yes, that would be awesome. Great. So you get involved with Christian Peacemaker teams by first just getting a taste of what life is like on our teams and what life is like for the people of northern Iraq, um, the First Nations of Canada, refugees in Greece, Palestinians, and also Colombians. So you come on a two-week delegation, and then after that you can discern whether or not this type of work is for you. And the organization will also discern if we think you'd be a good fit for the for, for what we're doing. And then after that, there's a month-long training in which you um, learn a lot more about each situation on the ground, about human rights, about undoing oppressions and our commitments as um, people of faith to address racism, sexism, heterosexism. And you learn a lot about your personality and what shifts when you are calm from when you are in a crisis. Uh, you learn about living together. You learn about all the different things that make up a life of a CPTer in order to do unarmed civilian protection well. And after that month of training, then there are jobs available and they're all stipended um, for, for your needs. And so uh, then there are jobs. And a lot of our things begin at age 21 eligibility. And we have many people that are about 21 to 35. And then also a lot of people who are 65 to 85 as well. Uh, we have people throughout the lifespan, but it's really cool because there's an intergenerational sense that tends to happen within within the work here. Yeah, so every, everyone is welcome to um, learn more about Christian Peacemaker Teams. We can also be useful to you in your community right now because there is a rise in violence and violent conflict um, in many communities around the world, and we have trainers that can give you a taste of this month-long training in a day-long workshop or a two-day workshop and that we will do we call it our taster training and we can bring it to your community a community center or a place of worship and we'll come together to talk about how we do unarmed civilian protection right there in our neighborhoods as well because it's all related everything is related all the violence is related and our response as peacemakers must also therefore depend on the interconnectedness of all of life. 
Great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add that you think would add to the podcast or help people understand your work? So the Church of the Brethren is one of the founding members of Christian Peacemaker Teams, and we have always been an ecumenical group, and we're now even interfaith. And this is an important moment to be uh, Christian-identified, but also have interfaith membership because many people of faith are being blamed for a lot of the violence that's happening, and so we are a way to show that people can work together from various religious perspectives for peace. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Christian peacemaker teams are courageous and impressive. Their willingness to put their bodies on the line to save others is truly the work of Jesus. And to know they are incorporating interfaith partners and participants is a wonderful way to share the love of God. I really enjoyed hearing Sarah's passion come through her words. I wondered how Jesus' passion for the helpless and oppressed was heard in his voice when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Dunker Punks call the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount the core of our desire to follow him in our lives. In Matthew chapter 5, we also read his passionate words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in addition to blessing the peacemakers as children of God, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. After hearing Sarah's descriptions of CPT work for justice and for basic safety by putting their bodies in the places of suffering, I was drawn back to Jesus' words. CPTers risk their very lives taking on the beating destined for the children they walk to school. They stand up, organize, and witness, and in these ways make an incredible difference in the world. Some have given their life for this work. Others remain dedicated to working for justice long after their term of service. Dunker Punks, it makes me ask, what am I doing to make a difference? You heard Sarah tell us how to get involved. And you can find out more information at www.cpt.org. You will also find resources such as Safety for Women in the Middle East, What Women in CPT Want Men to Know, and a wealth of resources on racism, sexual harassment, and undoing heterosexism. I challenge you to respond to Sarah's work by choosing a challenge of your own. You may spend time on the cpt.org resources site, learning and adopting actions to combat racism. You may begin to follow CPTers on social media and respond to the specific challenges to support their work. Or you may find yourself captivated by their stories because you too are called to risk the way they risk, to join Christian peacemaker teams. 
What will be your response to those desperate for help and justice? What will be your response to those desperate for help and justice? Will you be a blessed peacemaker, Dunker Punks? Will you act like the child of God you are? Go now with the blessing of Jesus on your life, inviting the challenge and responding with acts of mercy. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaborative ministry of the Arlington Church of the Brethren in Arlington, Virginia. Over a dozen young adult contributors volunteer their time and offer their passions working to share the love of God to help bring peace and justice to earth. Our producer is Emmy Gehring. Our audio editor this episode is Jacob Krause, who also produces our original music. Dunker Punk's executive producer is Suzanne Lay and Jenna Walner is advancement coordinator. My co-host is Emmett Eldred and you'll hear next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. Review us or contact us because we'd love to hear from you.